Good morning. Happy New Year. What a better place to start out the year than right here in God's house, right? 2012. I want to applaud all of you who got up early this morning, actually made it here this morning. I see a few empty seats. Okay, the empty seats are the people who stayed up too late, too much fireworks, and couldn't make it in this morning. We should pray for them, shouldn't we? Oh, maybe not. Anyway, I want to welcome you to Tomball Bible Church. My name is John Hattenberger. I am not the senior uh, pastor of your church. I'm one of the elders here at Tomball Bible Church. We have a wealth of uh, teachers. Uh, we've been blessed with that. I, I say that uh, unabashedly because it is truly a gift that God has given us. And so uh, typically about two-thirds of the time our senior pastor will preach and then one-third of the time uh, a couple of unprofessionals will come up like myself and uh, and carry the load. So it's really my pleasure this morning to kick off the new year with uh, our continuing study in the book of Colossians. So anyway, if you're here for the first time, welcome. We're glad that you're here. If it's the result of a New Year's resolution, then that's good. We'll see you again here next Sunday. Uh, but uh, we just want to make sure that, uh, that you don't go unnoticed. Uh, we're glad that you're here this morning and uh, kick off this morning. So without any further ado, we're going to jump back into the book of Colossians. So if you would mind opening up your book your Bibles, if you have them, the book of Colossians, you can follow along on the screen. Just to give you kind of a, a rerun, we've been working our way slowly through the book of Colossians. In the middle of December, we took uh, about three weeks off. Uh, Skeet gave a, a strong series uh, leading up to Christmas, looking uh, mostly at a, few, uh, a couple of ideas. One was that what we see in Christmas is simply a shadow, a shadow of the things to come. It's a great reminder of the things that we see around us, the lights and the trees and the presents and all that stuff. It's all a mere shadow of Jesus. And then we talked a lot about, uh, looking back in the Old Testament, about how the prophets foresaw and foretold the coming of the Messiah, and uh, that Jesus, by, through his death, through his life, and through his resurrection, clearly fulfilled pro- prophecy in the Old Testament that led up to that. And so it's during this Christmas season, which is now slightly behind us, just a week, that we're able to celebrate and look at that and remind ourselves that God's plan unfolded just the way he planned it. They sent a Messiah in the form of a baby boy, uh, born to a virgin named Mary, grew up, lived a sinless life, and died a cruel death on the cross for our sins that we might be saved. And it's this Christmas season that we uh, sometimes it's so easy to get distracted by uh, the trappings and the nostalgia. And we just have to remember that it's all about the hope that we have in our Son, in, in God's Son, Jesus. And so uh, it's a great reminder. So now we're back into the book of Colossians, and we're going to pick up in chapter 3. And today we're going to talk about uh, instructions to children and parents. But first, just give you a little bit of a, a, a refresher. Paul has gone through uh, quite a bit here already in the book of Colossians. And in the beginning of chapter 3, Paul instructs the Colossian believers to seek things that are above, not on earthly things, things. He tells us to put to death the sinful nature, and he spends a little bit of time talking about what the sinful nature looks like. He tells us to put on godly characteristics, and gives a long list of good godly characteristics that we should put on. And then towards the uh, middle of chapter 3, he says in in verse uh, 14 through 17, he says, above all these, put on love and peace and thankfulness. And then concludes in verse 17 and says, uh, whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. And then we pick up the next section. Now, the next section says, okay, given all that, what is the practical application of that? The practical application he talks about is primarily in the family, in the home itself. So he gives very specific instructions, first to wives and husbands, and then he's going to give, as we'll talk about this morning, to children and parents, and then he's going to carry on and talk about uh, slaves and masters. 
So this morning we'll cover the instructions to children and to parents. So for all you children out there, you're going to have to pay attention in a minute here. For all you parents, you have to listen to the whole thing because the whole thing comes through very clearly. And then next week's key, we'll come back and talk about uh, slaves and masters. So that's the context in which we approach uh, this morning. I want to remind you just a little bit uh, about the instructions to wives and husbands, which we covered four weeks ago. We looked at four key pillars uh, upon which marriage is based. Two pillars for the husband, two pillars for the wife. Two pillars for the husband are to first love your wife as Christ loved the church, and then secondly to lead your family. So the two pillars for the husband are to love and to lead. And the two pillars for the wife were to submit and respect. And upon those four pillars, uh, which is clearly taken from uh, our study in Colossians as well as Ephesians uh, chapter 5, it's very clear that Paul lays out those foundations for marriage. And it's the way God designed it. So if you missed uh, that uh, discussion or that sermon on the 4th of December, uh, that's what we talked about then. And so we're carrying on with that, with that central theme now, applying biblical words now to what takes place around children and parents. So, children and parents. Next week, slaves and masters. So if you would, would you mind opening your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3? And we'll begin, uh, it's just two verses, really, uh, in chapter 3. It's verses uh, 20 and 21. Paul writes to the Colossian church. He says, Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. And then we have a parallel uh, uh, section in the book of Ephesians. So if you just turn back about four pages, you'll find it in Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, reading in verses 1 through 4. It says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So that's what we're going to focus on this morning, is those two passages. So if you want to keep one finger in Colossians and the other finger in Ephesians, we'll be able to flip through. We're going back and forth between the two. So... Children and parents, that's the instructions this morning. Well, first of all, I'd just like to say that I'm partially qualified to talk about this. I've been uh, married for about uh, 34 years. I've been a a father for 30 years. I've been a grandfather uh, for about four years. And so I've got a little bit of experience around the parent-child relationship, but I'm not an expert. The expert that should be standing up here today was the old woman who came to visit us for Christmas uh, last week, my mother. She's 83, so she's been a child for 83 years. She's been a mother for 60 years. She's been a grandmother for 30 years, and she's been a great-grandmother for four years. And she came down to visit us. She's never been to our place for Christmas, and so it was really a special time. And uh, I tried to talk her into coming here this morning and giving you a little bit of her wisdom, and she declined gracefully uh, and immediately got on an airplane and flew back to Minnesota. She didn't want me to rope her into that at all. But uh, someone like that is someone I think could talk about this. But the point is that I don't need to be an expert. I just need to be a teacher, and that's the role I'm going to fulfill this morning is just simply to take not my own personal experiences. I'm not here to give you any advice. I'm simply here to interpret and to present to you, hopefully in an interesting and relevant way, what God's Word has to say. So as we do that, I'd just like to stop and pause uh, in a word of prayer. Lord God, we want to thank you for being the God that you are. You are truly a gracious and a good God. 
And we pray, Lord God, as we read Sunday upon Sunday, that we would come to your word with an air of expectation, with our hearts and minds wide open to what you have to say to us. I pray, Lord God, that I would teach the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. So help me, God. And that each of us would go away from here changed, not as a result of anything that I say, but because of the work of the Holy Spirit and the work of your word in our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so what we're going to do here this morning is there's, there's two sections here. There's commands uh, related to the children, and there's a second set of commands related to parents. So I'm going to cover those separately. So first, we're going to talk about uh, children. And as you can see easily from the text, the commands are twofold. One is to obey your parents. Children, obey your parents. That's the first command. The second instruction is to honor your parents. And those are two interrelated concepts. We'll walk through that uh, quickly. So first of all, obey. Let's cover that. Paul tells us what to do, and he simply says, obey your parents. What that means is, is that we should, children, should do what your parents tell you to do, should follow their, their commands, you should heed their guidance, you should conform your actions to what they tell you to do. Okay? That's a simple definition of the word obey. The word obey actually comes from the same root of a word that means to hearken. Hearken is a word we don't use very often, except we sing that song, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. And the word is hearken is to listen. So the word obey comes from the root word, which is to listen. So the first part of obeying is to listen. And then the second thing is to listen to what you hear. So it's relatively simple, straightforward uh, instruction to children. And then Paul says, um, says how to do it. Well, first of all, the idea of uh, hearken... Is it means that our obedience is based on what your parents will tell you. And I want to make a distinction here that it isn't what your parents do. In other words, the commandment isn't to do what your parents do, it's to do what your parents say. And it's an important thing to remember because sometimes your parents are not going to do what they say. But the, the commandment for obedience has got to do upon what they say. And we'll come back to that a little bit later. But it doesn't depend on how well your own parents perform or how godly they are, or whether they're great Christians or not. The command is to listen to what they say and do it. Okay? Now, how to do it. Paul gives us two instructions about how to obey, two clarifications. Colossians 3.20 says to obey them in everything. So that command is simply to say that you don't, as a child, get to pick and choose which commands or instructions you get to obey and which ones you can ignore. All children have the tendency to do that. I know I was a child once. And we all have this ability to say, well, that's a good command, so I'll do that. This one's not too inconvenient, so I'll do that. But I don't want to do that because it's a really hardship in my life. I don't want to do that. No, that's not what Paul is saying. He says, children, obey your parents in everything. Secondly, in Ephesians 6, he gives a little qualifier. And Paul says, to obey your parents in the Lord. He says, obey your parents in the Lord. And what does he mean by that? What does he mean by in the Lord? Well, he doesn't mean obey your parents in the Lord, as if in the Lord would somehow modify the definition of parents. Paul is not saying that you need to obey your parents as long as they are Christians or as long as your parents are godly. He's not saying that. The term in the Lord doesn't modify the word parents. It modifies the word obey. So you are to obey your parents, but you are to obey in the Lord. What Paul is saying simply here is the same kind of command he's given to the wives previously, that they are to submit to their husbands in the Lord. That is, if your husband were to, uh, to, to make a decision to do some, something that is not outside God's will, the wife's responsibility is to submit to that. 
But if your husband somehow decides that we ought to cheat on our income taxes or lie to a federal investigator, you as a, as a wife are not required to do that. You're not required to submit to that. And it's the same thing for children. Just as we are told broadly to submit to authorities, as long as we don't, they don't ask us to compromise anything that's uh, biblically commanded by God, the children are told to obey their parents, provided, provided that the instructions or commands they get from their parents are not outside God's will. So if your father or your mother they ask you to cheat in a basketball game or to cheat on an exam or to lie to a teacher, you don't need to obey that command. And as godly parents, they should never ask you to do so, but as children, you're to obey your parents in everything unless it contradicts clearly what God has asked of you. Now, the second command is to honor your parents. And this command is the fifth of the Ten Commandments, which Paul mentions in Ephesians, and it's quoted roughly from Deuteronomy chapter 5. Deuteronomy chapter 5 and verse 16, if you've got that in your Bibles, you want to flip to that quickly. Remember, God, uh, Moses went up on the mountain, got the, ten, got the stone tablets with the Ten Commandments on it. The fifth of these Ten Commandments is the one we're talking about this morning. Deuteronomy 5.16 says, Honor your father and your mother, honor, is the key word there, as the Lord your God commanded you, that your days may be long and that you may, it may go well with you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. So, what does it mean to honor your parents? Is it exactly the same thing as to obey your parents? Not quite. Obedience is about listening and doing. Honoring is more about attitude, but it also includes obedience. And so the word uh, honor in this section means to respect them. It means to show them esteem and deference, reverence, to show them courtesy. The Greek word is also the word that sometimes is used to describe glory or reverence. Or in a few cases, it's the same word is even used to describe heaviness like a great weight. The point about honor is that you put your parents up on a level of esteem where you respect them and you hold that there. And when you do that, when you do that, you will also obey them. But it's a lot about attitude. So children, obey means to listen and do. Honor means to respect your parents in your obedience with a respectful attitude. So, those are the commands for the children, to obey and honor your parents. Now, if you're a child in the audience now, you're probably wondering what comes next. And what comes next is a question that you may have, which is why. Why should I, as a child, obey my parents? Why should I honor them? And Paul gives us four good reasons why. The four good reasons, which I'll cover quickly, and then I'll walk through them and tell you what they are. Again, they are simply these four. One is that God commands it. God commands you to obey your parents. Two, it pleases God. Three, it's God's design for the family. And four, this obedience he's talking about will benefit you as a child. Okay, now where do I get that? Well, the first reason is that God commands it. Well, Paul says in Ephesians 6, he says, it is the first commandment with a promise. He's quoting the previous verses in Deuteronomy chapter 5. Paul doesn't mean that this is the first commandment of the Ten Commandments. It's the fifth one. But what he says, by, but when he says it's the first commandment, he says it's the primary commandment for children. The primary commandment for children is to obey your parents. Full stop. It's a commandment. It is not a nice-to-have, it's not an option, it's not a suggestion. It's a commandment. That's the word that's used biblically, is that it is a command, not something you can pick or choose. The second reason is that obeying your parents pleases God. We get that directly out of Colossians 3.20. It says, children, obey your parents in everything, for this 
pleases the Lord. It's a pleasing thing to do. A foolish person will do something that is displeasing to God. A wise person will do that which is pleasing to God. So that's the second reason. The third reason to obey, Paul says in Ephesians 6, 1, where he says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. What does he mean by this is right? I think what he means is simply that this is God's design for the family. It's the correct thing to do. This is how God designed the family. Husbands are to love and to lead. Wives are to submit and respect. Children are to honor and obey. It's the way God designed the family to run well. We'll talk about parents in just a minute. We'll talk about slaves and masters next week. But it's this whole design that God has for the family, he's simply saying obedience by the children for the, uh, to their parents is right. It's part of God's design. The fourth reason why is contained in Deuteronomy 5.16, where it says, Honor your father and mother, as the Lord your God commanded you, that your days may be long and that it may go well with you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. So there are two promises associated with this command. The two promises are for children who obey. There will be two benefits. One, you will live a long life. And two, you will live a good life. Your life will go well. Now, the Bible doesn't expand on what that means. And so you might say, well, how long will I live if I obey my parents? Will I live ten years longer than if I was disobedient? How well will my life go? Will my life go really well if I, dis- if I obey my parents and not so well if I disobey them? Well, we don't know. And it isn't specifically uh, stated in Scripture. But common sense would tell us a couple things. One, children that disobey their parents or are not unwilling, if put it in a positive way, unwilling to, to submit or to obey their parents often don't have any respect for other sources of authority either, including policemen, including teachers, including bosses at work. And a simple result of that is when you get a child who, who is in a position where authority figures don't matter to them, where they don't feel like they need to obey anybody, common sense and experience will tell us that sometimes they die young. Sometimes they go to jail. Sometimes they get murdered. And the lives that they lead in between are oftentimes troublesome. In a positive sense, those who obey God simply says, obey your parents, honor your parents. If you do so, you will live a long life and your life will go well. So those are the four reasons that that, uh, Paul outlines. And they're pretty good reasons. God commands it. It pleases God. It's part of God's design. And obedience has benefits for children. Now there's one other pretty good reason. And I'll close with that one in the children's portion of our talk this morning. It comes from Deuteronomy 21, verses 18 through 21. Can I simply tell you that God takes quite seriously this obedience issue? This is not a nice-to-have or, gosh, it sure would be good if you obey your parents. These are the instructions that God gives to the Israelites about disobedient children. Let's read it. If a man has a stubborn and rebellious son who will not obey the voice of his father or the voice of his mother, and, though they discipline him, will not listen to them, then his father and his mother shall take hold of him, that is the son, and bring him out to the elders of his city at the gate of the place where he lives. And they shall say to the elders of his city, 
This, our son, is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey our voice. He is a glutton and a drunkard. Verse 21. Then all the men of the city shall stone him to death with stones. So you shall purge the evil from your midst, and all Israel shall hear and fear. God takes obedience very seriously. Now, we got together as a group of elders and said, how do we apply this in our church? We said, the first thing we need to do is get a truck full of stones. So after the service, any of you want to bring your children up, the elders will be back out by the stone pile. And we chuckle about this because in their context, it is a little funny. But these are the instructions that God gave to Moses for the people. It's a chilling comment. So you shall purge the evil from your midst. God thinks and believes that disobedient children are evil. And he wants them to be destroyed so that their evil nature will not permeate the rest of the Israelite clan. There aren't too many things in our Bibles where God instructs us to put people to death. And this is one of them. So if I could just add this reason as the fifth reason to obey your parents, I would. Children, obey and honor your parents. Okay, you're off the hook now. Children, we'll turn to the parents. You keep your ears open for this one, though. Paul continues in Colossians and Ephesians. He says in Colossians 3.21, turning now to fathers, he says, Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. The parallel passage in Ephesians says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Well, first we note that both of these verses are addressed directly to fathers. So the question might be, well, is this something for fathers only, or is the mother also included in this command? Well, remember last time, a month ago, four weeks ago, we talked about the role of the husband and wife in the household, and I described the, the husband's role as the president, that is, the leader of the home, and the wife as the vice president. Not that because she's any less qualified or that she's any inferior in any way. It has nothing to do with that. It simply has to do with the hierarchy of what God has designed for the family. And so the husband, as the president of the home, works very closely with the vice president, that is, the mom of the home. And in issues where they cannot agree, the wife has to submit and respect to her husband. The husband is to love his wife as Christ loved the church and to lead in the home. So he has a central role in leadership. And that includes the discipline and the training and the upbringing of children. So another reminder, men, husbands, fathers, you are to take the lead in this area. Wives, you are to submit. The two of you need to work together as a team to raise your kids. So the, the command is given to fathers as the president, and the president is expected them to take those commands across this household and to apply them. So it isn't simply a, in my view, it isn't simply a, a command to fathers to do this, and forget wives can do anything they want to, that's not the case. The husbands are to take it as a command of being the president of the household and then to carry it out within the family context. So Paul addresses the father, but the commandments are clearly for both. Now there are two commands here. One is a positive one, and one is a negative one. And the negative command is, do not provoke your children to anger or discouragement. 
Do not provoke your anger to discouragement. Some of your versions might use the word exasperate or might say embitter your child to anger. The Greek word for provoke, which is translated provoke in both the Ephesians section as well as the Colossians section, is a slightly different uh, than the other one. The two verbs are similar, but they're slightly different. The verb in Colossians means to stir up or to uh, make excited or to stimulate. It can be a positive or a negative thing. So in the context of Colossians, he's simply saying, don't stir up or excite or stimulate your child to become discouraged. The verse in Ephesians uses a, a negative term, which is, has a negative comp- uh, connotation, which means to exasperate or to make angry. And so that's why it's translated to provoke to anger. The, the, the two verbs are slightly different, but they're, in the body they mean the same thing. Don't do things that are going to cause your children to become either discouraged or angry. So, what kind of things could parents do that would cause a child to become angry or discouraged? Well, I can think of a lot of things, actually. In fact, I, I believe that almost any command that you can give a child might cause them to become angry or discouraged. For example, you might say to your two-year-old, don't play with mommy's cell phone. The impact of that commandment on a two-year-old is likely to be, yes, ma'am, sorry, I didn't know that was off-limits. No, it's more likely to make a two-year-old angry. And those of you who have two-year-olds know that may result in a screaming fit. Your four-year-old, you might say, don't eat the cookies in the fridge. To your eight-year-old, you might say, please clean up your room. To your 12-year-old, you might say, please wash the dishes. To your 16-year-old, you might say, please be home at 10 o'clock. And any one or more of those instructions might cause your child to become angry or discouraged. So, what's Paul saying here? Is Paul saying, don't give any commands to your children because they're going to get angry or discouraged? Now, that may sound like a, a funny question, but we'll come back to it in just a second because I believe that a lot of parents think that's what that verse must mean because that's what they let their children do. Many parents have concluded that to lay commands and, and instructions on our children causes them to become angry or discouraged, therefore we're not going to give them any direction at all. Well, it's obvious that that's not what Paul means because he just, in a verse prior, has given the children a command to obey your parents with the idea of listening to what they tell you and doing it. So, unless your child is clairvoyant and can read your mind, it's obvious that we are instructed as parents to give our children some commands and some things to do, some instructions, verbally, and they are to carry it out. So, this verse cannot imply, don't give your children instructions or commands because it's likely to make them angry or discouraged. That can't be what Paul means. But some people must think that. Some of us, in our goal to have a peaceful household, have taken a step back as parents and said, you know, I'm just tired of this. I'm tired of laying down rules for my kids. They get mad, they, they get ornery, there's strife in the household. Therefore, I don't care. I, I give up. I'm, I'm, just, I'm just not going to do that. We, we can't do that, parents. We can't take that position. That isn't the way God designed the family to run. If we let our children run wild, here's what will happen. Yeah, for about a short period of time, there might be a, a reduction in strife in the household. 
But one, you're abdicating your role as a parent, which is wrong. And two, what you're really doing is you're handing your child over to someone else. If you put no limits or restrictions or commands, anything in your children, they're going to run wild until they bump into somebody else's restrictions. And somebody else's restrictions may be a police officer or a teacher or a principal or a fireman or someone else's parent. And unless we give our children instructions about what to do and what not to do, they haven't got this thing called common sense yet figured out about what to do. And so they're going to, you'll have peace in your household until such point as your child runs into something else and you get that phone call in the night that says, Hi, this is Tom Bell Fire uh, Police Department. Uh, can you come down? We'd like to have a discussion about your child. It's not going to work. God's design for the household is that parents would take an active role in the upbringing of their children. To do so otherwise, to let your children run wild, is going to be destructive to your children. It's totally contrary to God's design. We have to set rules for our kids. We have to issue commands and instructions. Our children need to know where the boundaries are, what they should do and what they should not do. Which means, parents, that we actually have to speak to our children. Unless your child is clairvoyant and can actually read your mind, figure out what it is you want and you don't want, you have to speak to them. You have to tell them what's in bounds and what's out of bounds. You have to speak that. And can I suggest to you that speaking face-to-face is probably going to be a little bit better than text and email? We seem to have gotten ourselves into this society now where we type out three-word commands on text, and it's just not rich enough for our children, I don't think. You need to sit down and explain to children what's inbound, what's out of bounds. Lay out for them very clearly what the rules are, which means we have to speak to them. Okay, so in the context of, of these commands, do not provoke your children to anger lest they become discouraged. Do not provoke your children to anger lest they become angry. What does Paul mean? In other words, what is Paul telling us as parents not to do? Well, he doesn't give a long list, does he? But I think it's relatively easy to think about what kinds of things would provoke our children to anger or discouragement. He's warning us not to do things like setting rules that are too rigid or difficult to follow, making unreasonable demands on our children that nobody could meet, applying our own rules inconsistently from one day to the next, where one day we enforce it to the letter of the law and the next day we let it slide. We shouldn't allow the mother and the father to have a disagreement about what the rules are so that the child can run to the lowest common denominator and find out where the weak points are. We shouldn't show favoritism from one child to the other. We shouldn't enforce excessive discipline that is clearly disproportionate to the crime. We shouldn't punish our children in order to relieve our own anger. We shouldn't criticize our children or speak too harshly or yell at them. We shouldn't do the very things that we're asking our children not to do. Don't ask your child not to smoke while you're lighting one up. It's not likely to work. We shouldn't embarrass them in front of their friends. And that's a short list of the things that I've done in my life with my kids. And it has a bad bad impact. It has two outcomes, according to Paul. It has the ability to cause your children to become angry. And the anger that Paul is talking about here is not 
that momentary flash of anger that you might get from a toddler who screams for about three minutes and then quits when he gets excited by the next shiny object that you give him. Now, the anger Paul's talking about here is that deep-rooted anger that takes hold slowly in a child's life and builds and builds and builds until it becomes the dominant personality trait of a child. Anger is a weird emotion because it smothers every other emotion. You know this. When you're angry, you cannot feel love or tenderness or compassion until that anger has left you. And anger, when it builds up in a child like that, will, will cover all the emotions. All the other emotions will get, get uh, compressed and depressed and smothered by anger. And that's the kind of anger Paul's talking about. That kind of becomes a personality trait. In Colossians, he says, don't do those things that would cause a child to become discouraged. We all know what discouragement is. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's losing heart. It's losing confidence. It's giving up. And when we act as bad parents, doing the kinds of things I just mentioned, being inconsistent in our discipline, our children can get discouraged. They can get angry. In Ephesians 6, Paul gives parents two positive commands. That's the negative thing. Don't do those things which are going to cause your child to become angry or discouraged, but do these two things. Ephesians 6, 4, he says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Depending on which version of the Bible you happen to carry this morning, the words will be uh, discipline or training or nurture. Uh, instruction or admonition. So discipline, you know, is a corrective action. It's intended to bring about proper behavior. And it's, uh, it's the idea that says, uh, show them how to do something. Let them do it. When they do it right, you should praise them. But when they do it wrong, you should discipline them. Or when they purposely go out and do something contrary to what you've just told them, you need to discipline them. Discipline them not for the purpose of crushing their spirit or making them angry or discouraged, but for the purpose of correcting that action. And so that's discipline. It includes training. We have to remember that our children, even though they may think they know everything, they don't. When I was 20, I thought I knew everything and I was wrong. Now I'm 56 and I don't think I know anything. But our children think they've got it all figured out, particularly when they get in their teens and their later years. You know this for those of you who have been through your own teen years. And so you'll remember that. It's important for us to discipline our children. The other thing he says is to instruct or admonish them. And this instruction has with it the idea that you have to teach them. But there's also two other things with it. There's a a bit of a warning in there. The word admonition is a good one. Son, do this. If you don't do it, this is what's likely to happen. And sometimes there's a little bit of a warning in there, but it has to be done with warmth. So admonition is the kind of thing where you come alongside your child and you say, do this. Here's why. Here's what might happen if you don't do it. I really want you to do it. And so we as parents need to come alongside our kids. On the positive side, we need to train them, teach them, and discipline them. We need to nurture and admonish and instruct them. We need to set rules that make sense. Set rules that make sense. Set rules that a child, particularly his teen years, can say, yeah, I think I understand why you're doing that. We have to be fair in our discipline and let the punishment fit the crime. We have to be consistent from one day to the next. If we're going to be lenient on Tuesday, we've got to be lenient on Wednesday. 
we're going to be strict on Tuesday, we should be strict all the time. We have to agree between a husband and a wife about what the boundaries are so that your child isn't left uh, running to one or the other to find uh, which is the more lenient one in any particular situation, which means the husband and the wives actually have to get together and talk about it. We have to set clear boundaries. We have to speak gently to our children, to give our children time and attention. It's all bound up in these words called admonish and to discipline and to train. We have to apologize to our children when we screw up. We have to explain why. When they're old enough to understand why, we should explain to them why. Explain to your daughters why you want them home at 11 o'clock. And explain to them what takes place after 11 o'clock. Otherwise, they're going to find out the hard way. And we have to live our own lives the way we want our children to live. Being a hypocrite will cause your child to be angry and discouraged. And that's just a short list of things that I've learned in 30 years as being a parent. And I wish my mother were here to give me the longer list. So there, those are the brief instructions for parents. Do not provoke your children and bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And parents, I have to say, quoting an email I got earlier this week, being a parent is hard. Being a grandparent is fun. Hold out, the fun will come later. Finally, throughout this entire section, we see the words in the Lord. Colossians 3.18, it says, Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Two verses later in verse 20, it says, Children, obey your parents and everything for this pleases the Lord. Ephesians 6.1 says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Two verses later, he says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Woven all throughout these instructions about family matters and how to run a good home, you see the words, in the Lord, of the Lord, through the Lord, for the Lord. The wife's responsibility to submit and respect. The husband's responsibility to lead and to love. The child's responsibility to obey and honor. The parent's responsibility to not provoke, but raise your children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. It's all about the Lord. And it's a great reminder that God's design for the family has at its central foundation Jesus. It's all about Jesus. And as I mentioned four weeks ago, it will be very, very difficult for us as parents or as children to follow the instructions that we find in our Bibles without the Lord. It brings us full circle right back to where we always land is the gospel. The gospel. The good news that while we, were, we are sinners and we sin every day and we can't help it. It's just part of our nature. No matter how hard we try, we keep falling into the same old sins. But one of those sins will send us to hell without the death of Jesus. But Jesus died on the cross that we might be saved. If we believe in Jesus, all of our sins, past, present, and future, are covered over by the blood that Jesus shed for us on the cross. And it's a free gift. If we accept Jesus as our Savior, all those sins are forgiven, which gets us into heaven when we die, gives us direct access to God through our prayers, by which we can, we can gather from Him counsel and advice, and we can read our Bibles, and everything starts to make sense, because when we trust in Jesus, we have the Holy Spirit immediately comes to live in our hearts. 
It's that Holy Spirit living with us on a day-to-day basis in our families, in our walk, in our marriages, raising our kids, obeying our parents. It's that, it's that power that we have to draw on. And so it's, not, it's no coincidence that Paul keeps weaving the words in the Lord, of the Lord, through the Lord. This is from the Lord. This pleases the Lord. It's all about Jesus. As a husband, as a father, a wife, mother, as a child, we are clearly instructed to build a foundation upon our trust in Jesus. The power that we get through, the power of the Holy Spirit living in our hearts, the access we have to God. It's the only way we can make a family work. If you do New Year's resolutions, there's probably one in here somewhere for you, whether you're a child or a mom or a dad or even a single person. Let's pray. Lord God, we want to thank you for being the God that you are. You are truly a great God. We thank you for your word. Thank you for Paul's writings and his letters to the Ephesians and to the Colossians church for the instructions that are so clearly laid out for us. Pray, Lord God, as I do, that uh, we would each be cut to the quick by your word, that we as parents would be consistent, we'd raise our children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, that we would not do anything that would cause them to be discouraged or angry. I pray for the children here that they realize the importance that you place upon obedience to our parents and all things, Lord God, that we as families will glorify and honor you. We thank you and we love you and we pray all these things in the name and the powerful name of your son, Jesus. Amen.